0: Hello, and welcome to another Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast. This is David Canfield, and I'm recording this on Saturday, July 22, 2023. If you've been listening to the program, you know that a little while ago I started a series on biblical prophecy, because I just feel it's such an important topic, and as the believers in Christ, we need to have more of a grasp on that than we do. And as the Lord allows, I do want to come back to that. But... As you might also know, if you've been following the things I've been putting out, I'm working very much right now on finishing up a new version of the New Testament called the Standard Version. That's really been occupying just about all of my time. So I haven't had the time to prepare another program on biblical prophecy for a while. That takes a little more time. But like I said, I want to come back to that. I just haven't had the opportunity to do that recently. So for this program, instead, I had some feeling to cover the matter of redemption. And what is a proper view of redemption, according to the New Testament truth. Because again, I feel this is something we really need to have a solid grounding in. And if we have a solid grounding, a real understanding of how the redemption of Christ works, I assure you, it will have a very, very big impact on our Christian life, on your Christian life. You'll have a much more solid basis for going on with the Lord in a healthy way. And as I considered that, I just felt you have to to present that in a proper way, you have to go back to the Old Testament and look at the type of the Passover because that is the most complete picture in the whole Bible of the redemptive work of Christ. It's just a marvelous, marvelous picture. So many different aspects and so detailed in how it presents the redemptive work of Christ. Just, just marvelous. It really, this kind of thing, you, you, you see that in the Old Testament as a picture and then realized in the New Testament in Christ and it just it just makes you realize only God could have written the Bible, you know, so many uh, centuries apart, uh, the, the type and the reality. And, and of course, written by very different authors, and yet it all fits together in such a marvelous way. You just have to bow your head and worship the Lord for his word. It's, it's really so. But uh, as, as I considered that, getting into the matter of the Passover and looked at it a little bit, I, I just became more convicted that to understand the Passover, you have to understand the context in which the the Passover takes place in the book of Exodus. Then you'll understand the the Passover as a type of the redemptive work of Christ in a much better way. And, of course, the context of the Passover in Exodus is that it follows this long struggle between Moses and Pharaoh to make a way for the children of Israel to get out of the land of Egypt. And so that's what I want to focus on in on this program, so that hopefully as the Lord allows in the next program, we can go on and consider the Passover itself. In this program I really want to consider the matter of this struggle and what that signifies in terms of our Christian life. In First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul at the end of chapter nine he's talking about running the Christian race. That's the, the section where he says about he talks about buffeting his body uh, he says, all those who run in a race course run, but one obtains the prize. Run in this way so that you may lay hold. And then he talks about buffeting his body because he himself does not want to be disapproved. He wants to gain the crown. Is what he's talking about there in 1 Corinthians 9. And then in chapter 10, he goes on and he gives the example of the children of Israel and their experience in the wilderness. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he makes a very clear statement. He said, these things happened As examples of us. So there's a very direct statement there that the history of the children of Israel is an example of our history as Christians, or a type of our history as the believers in Christ. Well, what is this type showing us if we just look at the book of Exodus? What does this type show us? Well, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, what you see is God's people are in slavery under Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And then there's this great struggle that takes place. God calls Moses to serve him. He sends him to go to Pharaoh. uh, And the plagues come into the land of Egypt to break down Pharaoh's resistance so that the children of Israel can eventually leave Egypt and go into the wilderness where they build up the tabernacle as God's dwelling place and hold a feast unto the Lord. And that is, it really is just a marvelous picture Of our Christian experience. Of course, Egypt signifies the world with all its luxuries and its pleasures, uh, but we're also, to partake of this system, before we're saved, we are in slavery in that world system that Satan has established. And Pharaoh, of course, signifies Satan as the ruler of this world, as the god of this age, who's doing everything he can to keep God's people in bondage in the world. But through the redemption of Christ, God calls us out of the world, morally speaking. Of course, we don't leave the world physically, but in a moral sense, we leave the world behind. The world becomes a wilderness to us, and because of that, we are able to stand with the Lord for his purpose, to gain his dwelling place on the earth, eventually to enter into the good land, not Egypt anymore, we entered into the good land to establish God's kingdom on the earth and build up the temple as God's permanent habitation on the earth. Praise the Lord for that. It's just a marvelous picture of our situation, of our history as the believers in Christ. And if we have this proper view of the history of the children of Israel and how it's a picture of our history, then we'll be much better able to understand redemption is not merely so my sins can be forgiven. Redemption is so God can have his kingdom and his dwelling place on the earth. And for that, he needs for his people to get out of the land of Egypt. In contrast, if we stay in the land of Egypt, spiritually speaking, in other words, we're still loving the world, we're still living as those who are of the world, the Lord has no way to gain his dwelling place in that case. So we need to understand the Passover in this context that the purpose of the Passover is to make a way for us to get out of the land of Egypt, and the purpose of the redemption of Christ is for us, as the believers in Christ, to be saved from the world to be saved from being in bondage to Satan so that we can stand with God in a pure way for his dwelling place on the earth. Well, the Passover and the history of the children of Israel in Egypt, that's the picture. But we have a number of verses in the New Testament that are right very much along these lines that support this understanding of the meaning of the Passover. That the purpose of redemption is to deliver us from the whole world system. I just wanted to take a little time to go through some of those verses. In the first gospel message that was ever preached after the death of resurrection in Christ, the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 40, he exhorts the, the Jews there in Jerusalem. He tells them to be saved from this crooked generation. It's not just to be saved from going to hell. Yes, for sure, that's a big part of salvation, to be saved from God's judgment. That's right. But he's saying to them, you need to be saved right now, from this crooked generation. Don't wait just to be saved in in the future. The gospel I'm preaching to you now is so you can be saved today from this crooked generation to not live as one anymore who is under the bondage of Pharaoh and his evil system. That's the gospel Peter was preaching to the the Jews there in Jerusalem. That's the first gospel message that was ever preached. He stressed that. Be saved from this crooked generation. In Galatians chapter 1, Uh, Verse 4, right at the beginning of that epistle, the Apostle Paul tells the Galatians that Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Same thought, very same thought. Peter talks about this crooked generation. The Apostle Paul says the purpose of the redemption of Christ was to save us from this present evil age. Again, come out of the bondage of Satan, just like the children of Israel came out from under their bondage and their slavery to Pharaoh that's what the lord wants to work out through the redemptive work of christ philippians 2:15 is another very good verse along these lines we're still living in the world of course we have we have to live in the world physically there's no we have no option about that but in that verse paul says we should be shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation because we're not a part of the world system anymore. Now we're living for Christ. Even though we live in the world, as people say, we're not of the world. The Lord, on the night he was uh, betrayed, in his great high priestly prayer in Exodus, uh, sorry, John uh, chapter 17, he asked the Father, he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Or you could also translate that as you keep them from the evil. So we're not removed from the world, but as we are here, We are shining forth as lights in the midst of this crooked and perverted generation. And that should be our proper view. So, all these verses show us that redemption is not just for the forgiveness of sins, it's to rescue us from being under bondage in Satan's world system. You know, there's a, a debate, and I've talked about this before in Christianity about, you know, is it enough just to believe in Jesus to have your sins forgiven, or do you have to? you know, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, or can you lose your salvation? All of these debates completely miss the mark, if we're we're occupied in this kind of way. Because redemption is not simply about the forgiveness of sins. And to be clear, yeah, if you simply believe in Jesus, yes, your sins will be forgiven. But the Lord is not just trying to have your sins forgiven. He wants those who are going to be followers of Christ, who are really going to give themselves to the Lord for the building up of his dwelling place on the earth. That is what the Lord is really after. And that's what our gospel should produce is disciples of Christ, believers, yes, but also even more disciples of Christ who are followers of Christ for the building up of his church on the earth. And for that, it's not enough to believe. There needs to be a repentance and a real turn to the Lord and a real following of Christ. But that's the gospel that we need to preach. That's the gospel that's needed today for the Lord to carry out his desire, really, it's the gospel of the kingdom. It's not simply the gospel of grace, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Praise the Lord for that, the gospel of the kingdom of the heavens. If we are these type of people, we're not going to be those who are loving the world. At First John 2.15, John, he, he, tells, he tells us very directly, don't love the world. If the, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We should surely not be the believers who are loving the world. Instead, we should have the view of Hebrews eleven thirty-eight 38 is a precious verse. It's talking about these ones in the Old Testament who were followers of the Lord, his people, and all the persecutions they suffered. And it has this wonderful phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. We should have a real sense deep within. The world is not worthy of me. I've been called by the Lord. I would never trade uh, that to gain the riches of the world because I have a full, strong realization. The world is not worthy of me. I'm a follower of Christ. How could it ever be worthy of me? Uh, unfortunately, I think today a lot of believers, well, a big car you know, is worthy of me, or a nice house, or an income, or a job, or whatever you're seeking in the world, fame, fortune. These things are worthy of me. I'm going to give myself to them instead of to Christ because they're worthy of me. But if we have a healthy relationship with the Lord, we'll have a strong sense, no, these things are not worthy of me, not in any way. Christ is so much more than any of these things could ever be to me. I'm a follower of Christ, and I would never agree that these things are worthy of me. Uh, And you have another picture in uh, Matthew 25, the the, the parable of the ten virgins. I love how that, that parable starts. The Lord says in Matthew 25, verse 1, At that time the kingdom of the heavens will be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. What are we doing as the believers in Christ today? we're going forth to meet the bridegroom. We're not going forth to seek our fortune in the world. We're going forth to meet our dear bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. Another verse that came to me as I've been considering this matter is Acts chapter 26, verse 18, which is really a very crucial verse in the New Testament regarding the preaching of the gospel. And this is where Paul is describing how the Lord commissioned him. And he says, The Lord sent him to open their eyes... To turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, when you break this verse down, you see there is a real progression in the steps that are taken to turn a person from being a lost sinner under the authority of Satan to being a person who is really living for God. The first thing is to open their eyes. We often, you know, we try to get people saved, but their eyes are never opened. That's the first thing, the crucial step is to open their eyes. And of course, only the Lord can do that. But he sends us as his servants to share the gospel with people so their eyes can be opened, just like he sent the Apostle Paul. Well, once their eyes are opened, that's when they can realize, wait a minute, I've been living my life in darkness. And if your eyes aren't aren't opened, you have no idea whether you're in the light or darkness or not. But once your eyes are open, that's when you can realize, I've been in darkness my whole life. I need to have a turn to light to get out of this darkness. And when you come into the light, then you're going to have a much fuller realization. Wait a minute. I've been living under the authority of Satan my whole life. I've been under the authority of Satan. I need to have a turn to God. And then Paul goes on here that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So you have these, these lost sinners have a turn to God. They believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Their sins are forgiven. And then Paul says the Lord concluded by saying that they may receive an inheritance among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, this is the exact progression that you see in the history of the children of Israel going from being in bondage in Egypt, in slavery to Pharaoh, to come out of Egypt, into the wilderness, and eventually into the good land. They were surely in darkness. They didn't know how bad their situation was until Moses came and helped them to come out of Egypt, right? They had a turn from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan pictured in Pharaoh to God. This is exactly how their journey began. They had to have a turn from being under Satan's authority to being under the authority of God. Then they experienced the Passover. There's the forgiveness of sins, the sprinkling of the blood. As a result of that, they came out of Egypt, and after, of course, a period of many years, they eventually entered into the good land. That's receiving the inheritance with all those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you can see just how much the history of the children of Israel is a picture of our history as the believers in Christ. And the crucial thing to see here is that before we were saved, we were in bondage to Satan, but through the redemptive work of Christ, God wants to bring us out of that bondage into the wilderness, signifying a separation from the world and eventually into the good land. And again, we just need to be so impressed with this picture that the world typified by Egypt, is absolutely opposed to God's dwelling place. And as long as we're in the world, loving the world, according to that picture, God can never have his dwelling place. He has to gain a people who are separated from the world, gathered to his name, to take a stand for the Lord, and then we can have the experience of the building up of God's dwelling place on the earth. Now, I want to read here an excerpt from a study that Witness Lee did of Exodus. It's called The Life Study of Exodus. Very long. And if you want to really take a deep dive into the book of Exodus, I strongly encourage you to get that. It's called The Life Study of Exodus by Witness Lee. And a good deal of what I'm sharing today is taken from the life study, his life study. He called it a study. It wasn't just a Bible study. He wanted the saints to touch something of life in the Bible. So he called it a life study. And this is from The Life Study of Exodus, Uh, It's page 220, and here's what he says. If we would be God's dwelling place on earth, we must know the world in a thorough way, and the element of the world must be purged out of our being. Only through being separated from the world can we become God's dwelling place. In God's redemption, we are not only saved from sin and from God's judgment, but also separated from the world. According to Galatians four, Christ gave himself for our sins in order to deliver us from this present evil age. Full redemption thus includes both the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. The book of Exodus, therefore, gives us a clear view both of the world and of God's dwelling place. A very good statement, a very good summary, and and again, a a good deal of what I'm sharing today is taken from the life study. So I really encourage you to get into that. It's a long uh, study. It's not a a small thing, but I've been very, very much helped by that myself and uh, highly recommend it. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Now, in a minute, I want to take some time to consider the struggle between Moses and Pharaoh, because there's a lot of lessons in that struggle about how we eventually can be saved from living in the world. But before that, we need to try to define a couple of terms here. And of course, I've been using the term the world a lot. And we need to consider, what is the world? What does it? When we talk about the world, what does that mean? And in a sense, it's, it's not an easy term to define. The word in the New Testament for world is cosmos. It means an ordered system. It's the arrangement Satan, as the god of this age, has set up in order to keep people in slavery under his authority. But if you want to consider practically, to me, what is the world, that's, that's a, not an easy question to answer. In a sense, I could just be very honest and tell you, I don't know. I For sure, I I don't know what the world is to you. I have to spend a lot of time considering myself. What is the world to me? Those are two different things. How Satan would try to keep me in bondage is different from how he's going to keep you in bondage. You know, if Some people come up with rules, and they say, this is the world, that's the world. In that case, you just end up being an ascetic, and you're dealing with outward things. So of course, there's the Amish, and, and they have... Their kind of rules, they say, well, you can't have electricity for the most part, or phones or cars, whatever, it's different, I know, from group to group. And they say that's what it means to not love the world. But when you look at 1 John and his definition of the world, it's it's much, much deeper than that. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Very strong statement. If you love the world, You cannot love the Father. That's a very, very sober word. And even if this is hard for us to define, we still need to have a very real exercise before the Lord to help us realize what is the world to me, what keeps me from loving the Father. Verse 16, he goes on, and listen to what he says here. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So do you notice how he defines the world here? He doesn't say, what's in the world is nice cars, what's in the world is a nice house, a good job, a lot of money. He talks about things that are within us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things that John says are in the world. The different categories of things. So Satan uses the material things very often to stir up these things that are within us to cause us to not love the the Lord but instead to love the world and to be under his slavery. So it's the things that are within us that need to be dealt with. Now practically speaking, there may be some outward things too in your life or in my life that need to be dealt with. That's another topic. But strictly speaking, the world consists mainly of these things that are within us. So if we deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we're a long way toward dealing with any kind of love of the world that's within us. And that means we need to be spending time with the Lord. And I have to tell you, as I've been getting into this, I I can't speak as one here who's, you know, fully uh, out of uh, any kind of love of the world. So I've been very exercised about my own situation. Lord, is there anything in me that is still loving the world, that's still under uh, bondage to Satan? You know, as long as we have any kind of worldly influence in us, Satan's going to laugh at our our efforts to preach the gospel because we're in his world. He says, no, I'm in charge here, not you. This is my world. You're not going to preach the gospel in my world. He just laughs. We try to share the gospel with people. It's when we come out of the world and take a clear stand for Christ, that's when we can begin to call people out of the world, just as we have come out of the world. If indeed we have fully come out of the world. Hudson Taylor had a very good statement, the great 19th century missionary to China. He said, the reason why we have so much trouble getting people saved is we're only half saved ourselves. It's really so. To, to have a real impact for the gospel, we need to deal with any kind of love of the world that's within us. And that's, it's not a matter of just putting away the outward things. And again, there may be some outward things that do need to be put away. The Lord may touch you or touch me. This, this, this has to go. But it's always related to something within us that the Lord wants to touch and deal with. And we need to give the Lord the full ground in our being to deal with us in that way. And as I say, it's been very helpful to me to have some exercise before the Lord in that regard as I've been working on this. So the second question is, okay, who is Pharaoh? And this, is, this is, gets very practical. Now, I mentioned already he, he's the God of this age and the ruler of this world. That's Satan, right? In, in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus refers to him as the ruler of this world. We need to be clear, the ruler of this world is not Jesus directly. This is Satan's world. We're living behind enemy lines in a very real sense. He is the ruler of this world. He has been defeated on the cross already in a moral sense, but that sentence has not yet been carried out practically. So he is still ruling over this world and keeping people in bondage. And he does that as the God of this age, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He is the God of this age. That's a very, very remarkable statement when you think about it. The ruler of this world and the god of this age is Satan. And, and no wonder the world is such a complete mess. People try to blame this on the Lord. All the suffering. No, no. That's another topic. Um, I, want, I want to deal with that because there's some false accusations. They, they blame uh, the Lord. No, he, he overrules indirectly. Yes, he's in charge. But the direct ruler of this world is still Satan until the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth. So, yes, Pharaoh signifies Satan, but we have to realize also, in a very real sense, it's not just the Pharaoh who is outward and doing these outward things to rule over the world. That That's part of it. But there's a very real sense in which Pharaoh exists within us. There's a Pharaoh within me who's doing everything he can to keep me from following Christ. Again, playing on what John refers to in First John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, trying to get me to be occupied with the worldly things so I'm not following Christ. That's not something outward. That's not the outward Pharaoh. That's the Pharaoh within me. That's my self-life. That's my flesh that uh, Satan is using as the indwelling Pharaoh to keep me from following Christ. So again, I would say, if you want to be a person who really has dealt with the world and has taken a clear stand, they're not for the world, it's so important to spend time to allow the Lord to deal with you in a personal, intimate way. Just ask him, Lord, show me. What ground does the world still have in me? Is there any love of the world still within me? Anything that keeps me from following you in a clear and definite way for the sake of your purpose? Lord, I need your shining. Bring my entire being into the light for a full and utter exposure of my real situation, Lord. Make me so purely for you. Help me to know what you view within me as loving the world. Because I don't want Satan to have any ground in my being. I don't want the world to have any ground in my being. Only you can do that. No one can do that for you. I can try to point you in the direction a little bit, but you have to have that time with the Lord to really allow him to deal with you in a full way. And, of course, it's all through our life. This is not We're not talking here about a once-for-all experience. Now, there may be a real turning point in someone's life. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you have that kind of a turn, that's wonderful to have such a definite turn, especially as a young believer, a new believer. Oh, it's so important to have a good, strong start with the Lord and firmly. And witnessly, I always remember his testimony the day he got saved. He just strongly told the Lord, Lord, I don't want the world from now on, I only want to follow you. From the very beginning, he had a very firm stand. He was uniquely for Christ. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord blessed his ministry so much as he did. So we it's very good if we do have that kind of experience. And we should ask the Lord to grant us such a turn by his mercy and by his grace. But for sure, all through our life, we have to deal. Because Satan doesn't give up. He's not going to give up. He's always working so hard to get us back under his authority. And so we always have to, however much we've dealt with the world before and dealt with loving the world, for sure there's much more that needs to be dug out of our being by our being being with the Lord and allowing him to deal with us to save us from loving the world. So that will do it for this edition of the program. The actual struggle of the children of Israel to leave the land of Egypt, we'll cover that in the next episode And actually, I've already recorded that, but as I was going back over this to prepare the program for publication, I realized that I've already covered so much in this episode, that's really enough for one program. And so I felt it was better to split the program into two parts and cover the remainder next week, and that way each part can have a better focus. So as I say, that will do it for this edition of the program, and as the Lord allows, we hope to be back with you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.